0: Hello, hello. Welcome back to Irrepressible. I'm Erica Ashley, your host. For anyone who's new around here, welcome, welcome. I am excited to introduce you to Erin Miller-Brennan this week. Erin is a licensed mental health therapist, and she specializes in art therapy. Her and I had a really interesting conversation about art therapy and why someone might be drawn to art as opposed to a more traditional type of therapy such as talk therapy. And it was really fascinating to hear about the different types and forms that art therapy comes in. It's not just painting. It could be dance therapy, it might be rug making, so many different forms that I didn't even realize were options. And it just it's a really cool reminder that there are so many ways to get to where you want to go. You just got to find what works best for you. She shares some really cool stories, some success stories, breakthrough stories that she has encountered during her time as a therapist. She talks about how art therapy is being used in some prisons as a form of rehabilitation for inmates. One of the things she says in this episode that stuck with me the most was that we are all our own experts over our own lives. Her job as a therapist is not to give you the answers. It's to help guide you to the answers that are already within you. And I thought that was such a great reminder. I think we can get caught up in feeling like everybody else has all the answers and that we don't have them for ourselves. We're all capable of finding the right answers for us. We might just need some help along the way, and there's nothing wrong with that. So. In this episode, you will also hear a few tools that you can do at home that she's providing if you want help uh, self-regulating in any way, or if you feel stressed or anxious at all, these tools can help you. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode. Here is Erin. Would you mind giving us kind of like a background on to Aaron like what was your childhood like what was growing up like how did you get to where you are now
1: yeah absolutely so i'm originally from marin county california and i went all all through school there so elementary middle and even college i ended up transferring to berkeley um and that was a big deal because i did junior college and i didn't i didn't get in to any schools that i really liked right out of high school um and I'll back up. I have a sister, my mom and my dad. We always had a dog in the house, a uh, big outdoor family, lots of camping, lots of hiking, uh, lots of dress up and play. Like my parents always encouraged us to just play. Um, and so then translating that into school, you know, we did sports and everything, but um, when it came down to college, it was like, oh God, what am I going to do? So I've always had an appreciation for art. I've loved art you know, ever since I was little, but I remember specifically I had, I think it was in kindergarten. The teacher was like, Oh, you're not very good. You know, like you're, you're not an artist. And I remember that like really stung. There are like a couple moments and, you know, just growing up in school and a teacher says something and it really does stick. I can't, sorry, I
0: I can't (laughs) believe somebody would say that to you as a child,
1: a five-year-old. I know it's sad. (sighs) I know. And, um, but yeah, so school, my career developed a lot from what I got in school and also socially. Like I always had a school counselor. I was always really anxious. Um, my parents had to go to school with me, like all of kindergarten basically until the kindergarten teacher was like, you must go. Like Erin needs to be alone. <laughs> so I was always kind of like just shy and nervous and um, yeah, just really found a lot of comfort in the support people at school. And so then Fast forward, I get to transfer to Berkeley. I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's my dream school. Now what? And I chose a focus of art history because again, I was like, well, I'm not, I can't do fine arts or anything because I'm not quote good at art. Um, I took a painting class for fun just because I wanted to and I learned a lot and I, I developed a lot of confidence around art modalities in that space. And then what really changed my life was this class called Art, Medicine and Disability. And we had to volunteer in the community, either in Oakland or San Francisco, um, at a facility that helped people with physical and mental differences and so um, I did a hundred hours there, and I was just like, "Whoa, my worlds are colliding like there's this space where you can do rug like making rugs, woodwork, wood shop painting, sculpture, clay, like dance anything I mean it was just like art mecca, and they had a gallery. It's called creative growth. And I'm sure some people have heard of it. It's in Oakland. Um, and then there's one in San Francisco called creativity explored. And they have a gallery where you can, they invite outside people to come in and buy the art of the artist. So it, it's a really cool model. And that's where I learned about art therapy. And I was like, I want to do that. That's definitely what I want to do. Um, Cause I, you know, having counselors in my life and therapists, it was just like, that would be a really cool job, but how do I get there? Like I like psychology, but I don't want to do science and I don't want to dissect mice. And I just, it was really hard to just figure out how to work with people. And so this place really opened up a lot of doors for me um, in terms of what I could do and what else is out there besides your just standard, um, like face-to-face psychotherapy, doing the psychology route. Um, So I met my boyfriend in college at the time and he was moving to Australia. And I was just like, this is a bummer. I really like him and he's moving across the world. So um, I was, I happened to Google art therapy programs and the school that he was going to in Australia popped up as one of the best art therapy. Uh, It was a master's of mental health art therapy through the school of medicine. So I was like, Oh, that's a legit program. Um, So we moved to Australia. I pursued that master's um, graduated with a master's of mental health and art therapy from the university of Queensland. Uh, we lived in Brisbane for four years, and then moved back to California in 2014. We were there ever since um, this past October, when we moved to Utah. So it's kind of like my fast forward life transition of like, who I am, what kind of kid I was, and then how I ended up finding my career path through a very like, Yeah. I wasn't a scholastic kid. School was just always really hard for me. And I ended up with my dream job. So it's possible. I'm so curious
0: to know what made you decide after growing up thinking that you were terrible at art and having like trauma from that really to then pursuing art in college and like fine art and looking at things like that. Um,
1: Yeah. I think it was the the age that I was at, you know, like young twenties. And it was just like, you know, like going on the patio, like having a cigarette, having a coffee, like getting really into my my artsy mode and like developing my confidence that way. And I was like, I want to be a painter. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I was always told that I was bad at art. So I'm going to try abstract art. And we, it was an oil painting class and it was just like, yeah, the studio, the paint on the walls, like always wearing an apron, having paint on your face. It was just something I, that I knew was built into my character, but I hadn't had access to, and I really just wanted to explore it more. I love that it didn't deter you, that like, even though they said those things. Yeah, it took a long time. And my, one of my best friends growing up was a phenomenal artist. And so I think that having that around and seeing that talent nearby was always like a, like a subtle inspiration of like, I really want to try that. I want to do it. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was just something that I didn't want to give up, even though it took me a long time to quote recover from just I don't know that insecurity of like oh I can't draw oh I only draw stick figures you know and that's what's so interesting about art therapy is because like the best client is going to be the person that's like I'm not I'm not a good artist and you're like well that's that's the trick because you don't have to be a good artist it's about the process not the product it's not about what it looks like it's about the meaning that it holds for you so um, there's just so many avenues um, and ways to explore and use art therapy as a therapist, that um I think it's only strengthened my career. Can
0: you explain maybe why somebody would want to approach going to therapy in the art sense versus like a traditional therapy mm-hmm. route?
1: Yeah, so um in my experience and in the client with with the clients I've worked with, a lot are were school based. so a lot were adolescents, um, also like five to eighteen. And then um, I was in this women's art therapy group um, that supported moms who had addictions and it's so hard to put words to your experience um, that a lot of times therapy can feel um, really invasive and just like Mm -hmm. too much, like the questions are too much. And a lot of times people are still processing what they're going through and what they're feeling and why they did the things they did or what their shame is or what their trauma is. And um, you know, their insecurities and so art allows more space um so it's an invitation that the the therapist can provide to the client in the day and just be like you know I'm I'm thinking about um having you use these these paints or these crayons or these pastels it's your choice and so always giving the client a choice to dabble in art um and and if they decline then you know you don't force it upon them but um there's a whole spectrum of like using certain materials with certain diagnoses. So like uh, structured people that have a lot of structure and are very rigid, like they need, they often go for pencil or colored pencil. Um, if you wanna like move them towards like with OCD, like being just more open to playing with being messy and getting like hands dirty, for example, you can move them towards paint and then watercolors at like the very end of the spectrum. So it goes from pencil to watercolor and everything in between. Um, but really you can use it with any client, um, any age. Um, sometimes when, when people are finding you online, like on psychology today, or looking at therapist profiles, um, they, they do go for people who maybe have similar interests, like, Oh, she does art. She has, she does dance. There's movement. Like I, I want to dabble in those things. Whereas that could also deter clients too. Like I don't want someone to make me paint or someone to make me do interpretive dance in in the room like that's not for me so I think it depends on the person and their like openness and willingness to try new new ways to express themselves Mm -hmm. Um, because just verbal expression can be really hard for a lot of people Um, and so when you allow that space through art these emotions and feelings and like the things that are underlying can arise and they're like oh my god there's my aha moment like that's exactly what this reminds me of, or this is what I was, this is what I was thinking about when I was doing this crazy swirl and I was stuck in it for 10 minutes, but it felt so good to just like crunch it out with a brown pastel, you know? And so mm-hmm. the color, the texture, where on the paper they are, how, how vigorously they're moving. Um, it's just, it's an incredible process to watch and, and witness.
0: Can you watch somebody create something and and recognize, oh, I think this is why they're doing this or is it very individual?
1: I think it's very individual, but there's certain, you can like read people's frustrations, like with the way they're breathing Um, They're Oh, I'm going, I'm going to go for the black. No, I'm going to go for Brown. No, wait, I'm going to go back to black. And so like those, Mm. those difficult decisions that someone's making. So you read a lot in their body language, um, their physical cues, their, their facial expressions, the sounds they're making. Like some people will just straight up start crying Um, some people just get frustrated and like throw the stuff down and be like, I'm done. You can go as a therapist with the intention of, oh, this, I had this awesome intervention and it's gonna, you know, take all 50 minutes and it could take the client three minutes. So it's, there's a lot of uh, fluidity and just how that hour will go. Um, and so there's always like prompting questions and, um, open-ended questions that you ask them to kind of engage them more in that moment and get them to reflect a bit on what was going on for them. But, um, I think based on just how someone's moving or what they're drawing, um, I wouldn't be able to just like diagnose them right off the bat. you would do yeah. like a full in- intake for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can you walk us through maybe what like a session looks like? Do you start off with conversation? Do you give them a prompt? Like how do you get, like, what is the structure
1: to a session? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Um, because a lot of it is timing. So really like being like starting right at five and ending right at five fifty, And so you would, what you would, what how I work and how I was coached to work through supervisors and, and all that um, specifically for art therapy. Um, psychotherapy is a little bit different, like traditional talk therapy, but um, you know, checking in, did you come with something specific that you wanted to talk about or process today? Um, depending on the answers, yes or no, you'd move from there. And then really what you would do is give them a good 30 minutes to to do the art making. So you lay out the materials. You always have it clean and ready. Um, fresh paper, or you can have like buy those little canvases if they want to do like an actual canvas mm-hmm. um, and have like several options. So pens- colored pencils, pencils, uh, watercolor or paint and pastels, chalk or um, the, I'm forgetting the tech the chalk ones are the oil ones basically. And that's, that's a texture thing too. So it's interesting to see what people gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. And then a prompt that I really like to use, especially when getting to know a client is who am I? And so it, it would be a self portrait, but not so much. And you could do this in two sessions. I know I'm kind of jumping around, but <laughs> I love this stuff. And so um, you could start with like, what do people see on the outside? And like, how do you think people perceive you? And using lines, shapes, colors—not necessarily like draw your whole face and body—and mm-hmm. then this self-portrait part two would be who are you on the inside? What what do people not see? Like what's going on underneath? And so and again, using lines, shapes, colors. Um, so uh, using that kind of abstract way to get people to think about how to represent themselves, get them to reflect on their outside versus their in the outside versus the inside. And so that one's called self-portrait, and Basically, as long as you give the client about thirty minutes, and then you wind down with um, like ten minutes of process, like get them out of the art process. So you'd be like, "There's ten minutes left," um, in your thirty minutes. There's five minutes left. Okay, there's two minutes left. Find a way to wrap up. If it's not complete, find a way to complete it for now. And you can always take it home or keep it here, in the space. And then once that countdown clock is off you would then save the last 10 minutes to, to process what was going on. Um, what was it like for them? Did anything come up? Was anything, does anything feel resolved? Um, what was the feeling you got when you were, you know, I and you would state observations. Like I saw that you started in the upper left corner. I'm wondering why you started there. I saw you like move through the center of the page but skip the middle and then you worked in the bottom right-hand corner. I was kind of wondering, what was happening in that process for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And they can often walk through and be like, oh yeah, I started up here because I don't know, I thought of like what a beautiful day it was. And so I was thinking about the sky, but then my brain like tracked to how I even got there on that day. And so I started doing the ground. And so it's just a nice way to get them to really process like the moment that they're thinking about. Um, Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. That's super interesting. Yeah, it's so cool. I really like that. Are there specific reasons somebody would come to you for art therapy can it be for anything can it be like for anxiety OCD is it just like I had a trauma can it
1: be all of those things it can definitely be all of those things and there's so like there are books and books and books and I mean Pinterest and therapy boards and like a lot of interventions online that help therapists kind of tweak what they want to do with each client Mm -hmm. um there are ways that you could do like a series so there and the art women's art therapy group I did in Australia where I was a participant it was 12 weeks and each week was a different theme and it was kind of like based on archetypes but really developing like who you are a sense of who you are your confidence um and just that ind- individuality that's really important to kind of just develop as a human being
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so um i would say that I don't want to say the easiest clients, but clients who are like, I really want therapy and I I want to be here and I want to like, not that I'm the expert, but like you're the expert in your life, but I can just help you find the answers to the questions that you have or the areas that are kind of like blackout or brownout spots where you're like, what happened? Like, when did I change? Like, who have I become? Mm -hmm. Um, This is what I experienced in my family and I've never talked about it with anybody. So um, it's, it's such a, When people are in that vulnerable space, I think any mode, and as long as you have that rapport, but like any modality, uh, there's like dance therapy, expressive arts therapy, there's drama therapy. Um, So there's a lot of really cool ways to have, allow people to deepen their access to their feelings and emotions and like what's, what's under, what's underneath it all. Um, What's under their stress, their anxiety, their trauma. Um, It's good for PTSD Um, There's a lot of expressive art therapy and art therapy done in prisons, Um, like incredible, incredible talent and just ways for people to just develop their, their self, you know, with the the capital S like, and just find who they are again. So Mm -hmm. um, I would, I really do believe any age, any diagnosis, um, you do have to be a trained art therapist to call yourself an art therapist. Mm -hmm. You can always use art therapy as a intervention, Um, but therapists with certain licenses cannot say, oh, I'm an art therapist, but they can find their way around it and say, oh, I do art therapy with my clients. So it's a bit tricky. There's like a gray area. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about the art therapy that they're doing in prisons? Well, I know that San Quentin has one of like the best programs in the Bay area. Um, but it is becoming more common because in terms of like rehabilitation, it's like there's uh, the animal assisted therapy. So like prisoners um rehabilitating pit bulls and with mm-hmm. anger and aggression. And then it's like building that relationship. And really, I think there's a TV show on it.
0: There is. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. Think. yeah. Pit, uh, the pit bulls and parolees one. No. There's yeah. Is it that I- some,
1: something like that? Yeah. 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 On Netflix. Hmm. Yeah. And then gardening is a big one. Um, I mean, sewing, there's so many incredible and interesting programs at certain prisons. Unfortunately, it's not accessible like across the country, but um, yoga, meditation, mindfulness. Um, There was one down in Mexico. I remember we walked into the gallery and I just, the art just took my breath away and then it turned out that it was a gallery specific to um, supporting a prison and all the prisoners art were was in the gallery and they were selling it for profit and it would give you a little bio on each um each artist um so it's pretty it's pretty incredible and I don't know too much about like how to get involved or what prisons like specifically do it but I know Mm -hmm. San Quentin has an awesome program and I myself have just been in a few galleries that that support um the rehabilitation of prisoners that way I love that so much. Mm-hmm. It's I think, really
0: cool. Yeah. I think, I mean, you hear so much about the prison systems and just
1: mm-hmm.
0: how people are left sometimes. And I, I'm yeah. so happy that there's programs like this that are helping. Yeah. that yeah. are helping.
1: Yeah. It helps really develop that identity and that piece of you that can get so lost. And when you're in such confinement and there's so many restrictions and like you really, are just some, I mean, it's a soapbox for sure, but the way some prisons run, it's like they're dehumanizing. Mm -hmm. And so to have access to therapy and um, like the healing arts basically is is a wonderful thing because everyone's a human.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know this is like not comparable in any sort of way, but I think for all of us, even last year, just being at home so much Mm -hmm. in one space, you really start to understand how important other human interaction is. And even yeah. even art, because there was a point last summer where I was like, I just, every Thursday I set aside an hour to mm-hmm. do watercolor and it was no awesome. sort of like therapy or anything. Yeah. I guess it was like maybe, a, uh, well, you weren't there watching me, but <laughs> <No>. personal <laughs> therapy. It was personal therapy. So like just from my experience with that alone, I can see how important this would be to people who are in prisons.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You're right. I mean, that confinement part is just like, you can feel yourself going stir crazy Mm -hmm. to sort of like build a hobby, like develop a talent, develop something that you feel really good about in yourself is, is a huge part of what therapy is all about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sand tray is also like the, the benefit of going into a space, into a a therapeutic office, um, depending on what that uh, therapist is trained, trained in and trained for. Um, I find that the way my brain works and the way that I process stuff is very nonverbal. I have a dance background, uh, again, with just like abstract painting and oil and um, music. Like I'm very, very much attuned and I find a lot of healing through, through music um, so for me as a, with that kind of left brain, um, excuse me, right brain, um, strengths and like, that's kind of how I function, finding a therapist that has access or that I would have access to those things would be really important for me. Mm-hmm. Um, is really cool. It's kind of like dream analysis meets all these characters and figure figurines and you like build with either a prompt or no prompt, um, based on like the characters you pick and the different symbols. Like it's so cool. I love that stuff. I wish I was more trained in it. Wow. Yeah.
0: It's so fascinating because for the longest time, I always thought therapy was just, you sit on a couch, you talk about Mm -hmm. your problems Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and there's so many more ways to it. Like I didn't know you could do dance therapy. And and I actually have a question because you, when you see somebody and and they're like, "Oh, I don't want to do watercolor because of whatever reason." Yeah. Do you try to get them eventually to use watercolor as a tool because I also have a dance background. Yeah. But when you said they do dance therapy, I was like, that's not the one I want to do.
1: Yeah, interesting, interesting. Um so I think if there's some wiggle room like maybe session 1 through 6 you don't even attempt the watercolor again, but you would continue to put it out as an offering mm-hmm. and, you know, always have the invitation there. Like you can try it. Do you want to try it today? Um, how do you feel about trying watercolor? So you can always like guide them towards that rigidity. If it, if it's really a big no, I wouldn't force it. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be like a personal goal or a I would say a clinical goal as a therapist, but you really do come up with the goals with the client. So like, mm-hmm. why, why are they in therapy? What are they hoping to get out of it? What are they hoping to, you know, overcome or develop deeper insight into? And so, you know, you you can do that without, if they're rigid about watercolor, you can, you can still access those things. But um, yeah, I would say it's most important to develop the rapport with the client. And if it's like a hard no, then I would, I would listen to that hard no. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I just was curious if it's like, okay, she has an aversion to not doing dance therapy. There's an issue going on with that or
1: it's just like a personality trait. Mm, interesting. Well, I think as a dancer, that's I too feel like I would shy away from dance therapy just because mm-hmm. there's so much in your training and your background and your personal experience and in the performance mode, it would be hard to turn that off and and try dance therapy. But at the same time, if there was like a workshop or a group or something, um, it might be you know interesting for you to just continue to explore,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and maybe even explore the reasons why not. Um, I could definitely see a an an artist maybe shying away from art therapy because they already do it so much, or it's already a developed talent that they mm-hmm. would prefer talk therapy, mm-hmm. um, like classic psychotherapy. So, yeah. I just think it's it's important for people to know that there are so many. Modalities to therapy now, and therapists have a very, like, eclectic framework. Um, so, and there's all different criteria that a therapist can meet or take workshops in, and we all need CEUs, which is continuing education units, to continue our license. So, um, you know, I might take a training in a in a music therapy, you know, and then mm. I can kind of offer those tools later later down the line. Um, so, yeah, it just depends, I guess.
0: Yeah. That makes total sense. Yeah. Do you work
1: more with kids, adults? Who? I, so I started working with kids and loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, I worked in schools. I worked at a hospital. I worked at an adolescent psychiatric crisis unit. um, And I really just found my niche with kids in the beginning. And then I almost got, and family. So it's really important when you're working with kids to bring in the parents, mm-hmm. um, not only ethically speaking, but, um, and, and kids have confidentiality too. I mean, what goes on in session is really between kiddo, but when there's certain ethical boundaries that have been crossed or like safety concerns, that's when you have to yeah, bring in the parents. Um, so definitely a lot, a lot of experience with kids and families. And then now I work on with a telehealth platform, it's called ginger. It's awesome. And they, um, we have adult clients anywhere from like 18 to 65, I think is my oldest client. So that's been really, really fun to explore. Um, so I have the full age range right now. My youngest client is four. And that's at a pediatric therapy clinic, wow. animal assisted pediatric therapy clinic in Salt Lake called Strides. It's also very cool. Mm-hmm. And then my oldest is 65 and then I have all the ages in between. So I think for me, I like having the different age ranges because, you know, maybe when I'm 40 and 50, I'll develop like a niche or like a specific age group or a focus. But for now, I'm, st- I'm still trying to figure that out. Do you see commonalities between age groups? Yes. Oh my goodness. Really? Yes. Yeah. Um, middle schoolers, for sure, because you know there's like developmental milestones and all of these things that like might be coming up at a certain age. So that adolescent phase is very, um, very much developing like their individuality. So you see a lot of kids like rebelling against their parents or their families or thinking like, you know, I'm the black sheep of my family, and and these are my struggles, and they're all real and they're all relative. Um, but a lot of anxiety and depression. A lot. Mm-hmm. in that middle school, uh, younger high school, like ninth, 10th grade,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a lot, um, a lot of, I would say just like stress within the family home. COVID has also been a really interesting time to be a therapist and like coming out of COVID, um, as things start to open up. So, um, yeah, people's stress like super, super heightened, the fear, fear of dying, fear of death, like catastrophizing a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of like agoraphobia, just not wanting to go out at all and continuing to not want to go out anymore. So there's definitely been an influx in in certain, uh, I would say like symptoms and diagnoses for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say like in that, in the thirties, a lot of those fears um, and not that they're irrational fears, but it's like that instant catastrophizing a lot, a lot of women um, in their thirties, a lot of men too. I mean, a lot of my clients are men, which is really cool um, and struggling with career paths, career change. Who am I? What do I want to do? What do I even like? Um, so a lot of just questioning in the 30 year olds and that pocket of just like, am I going to get married? Like, do I, do I need to live near my family? Like a lot of just like, what mm. have I been doing the last 10 years? And now mm. all of a sudden I'm in my thirties, like now what? And a lot of career stuff, um, for men that I've noticed and, in the groups that I'm in my cluster of clients.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Since you work
1: and live in Utah, mm-hmm.
0: I'm curious if religion comes up a lot.
1: It sure does. Yeah. It's been really interesting. Um, it's been re- cause it's predominantly Mormon. I forget the percentage of the state, but it's, it's really high. And, um, out where I work, it's in a more rural town. And so, uh, yeah, the church and religion plays a really big part in the family and the family culture and the community's culture. Um, And so to offer a safe place for these, I would say 14, 15, 16, my oldest is 17. um, These teens to come in and talk about like gender identity, talk about like sexual orientation, sexual preference in a place where they've literally never been able to open that door Mm -hmm. is, I mean, I just feel so so lucky and privileged to, to have that, um, that moment with them where they can think and think out loud and in a non judgmental space. Um, I would say a lot are questioning, like we, you know, the God and our Bible and our, our way of religion says not to judge people yet. We don't let certain people join our church. Like what's Mm -hmm. that about? And so I think my youngest was 12 and he was having some really incredible, insightful, uh, deep thoughts about like, what is this about? Why why are we doing this? Why are we confined to think and live this way? And like that perfectionism and like being clean and being perfect and your body is a temple. And there's a lot of really interest, interesting stuff around religion that again, that confinement piece like is can be really limiting um, to these kiddos, just developing an understanding of who they are and being different from their family members. Like if they like music, but the rest of the family likes going to rodeos, you know, it's, is that, is that allowed? And is that okay? And if it's not, why is it not okay to the family? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, So it comes up a lot. It's, it's been a big, a big thing in moving to Utah for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was
1: curious um, because I know
0: I had Stephanie Larson on a while ago and she's the CEO and founder of encircle and they do Uh a lot of work for um lgbtq youth in utah and she she had the point of you know like the church is killing our children because of certain messages and i think now that it's becoming so much more talked about um i think communities like those in utah can benefit from from like art therapy and the things we're doing
1: as well Yeah, they really can. They really can. And I think because it's, it's uncomfortable to like go against your family's beliefs and like start to question it. And also if you leave the Mormon church, some family, like your family won't let you back home. They're like, you're out, you're gone. You're dead to me in so many words. And so Mm -hmm. um, it's terrifying for a lot of these kids to even grapple or even have the thought of, is God real? Like, Oh God, I just thought something really bad. Like, am I a bad Mormon? Am I a bad person? Is my, is my mom going to find out? I just thought that, you know, so it's so much anxiety around like crippling anxiety around those things. So I do, I do find that the youth are, I think therapy is becoming, uh, you know, less stigmatized mm-hmm. and like you said talked about much more and there are a lot of safe places for kids to go and the one thing i do want to say about like the mormon family mormon families that i've noticed is like they are very loving like they love their kids mm-hmm. um but they just have you know there's a way of thinking that i don't know if there's an openness and understanding on like the hindrance that that is causing
0: um
1: mm-hmm. in these young people's lives and so um, yeah, it's, it's tricky because doing family work, it's like, you need to be respectful of the family, you're respectful of the kid, but if it is harming their mental health in these ways, like, you know, what, what's more important, you mm-hmm. know, your, your child who's suicidal or like, can they take a break from church for a little while? Cause it's so anxiety provoking.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's tricky. I also wonder if it's generational right? Because there's that generational gap between a parent and a child and like the way the world is now. And then the way they grew up when Mm -hmm. you work with kids, do you also work with the parents? Like, will they come in for one-on-one sessions with you or is it separate or does that not happen?
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question. So I, the way I work, I always have the family involved. And so, and I do the intake, I'll meet with the parents and I'll meet with the kid Um, I'll meet with them together and then separate. Mm -hmm. Um, and then thereafter have individual sessions with the kiddo, you know, build a rapport, develop the relationship, really understand what they think therapy is. Like, do they even want to be in therapy or are they being Mm -hmm. forced to? Um, and then basically bringing in the parents for, uh, I would say monthly check-ins in terms of like, cause some parents really, really want to know what's going on in the room. And you're like, I can't, you know, nothing unsafe, nothing bad. Like, they're really just trying to understand the family dynamics or like this certain trauma, this Mm -hmm. accident really affected them in this way. Um, so you'll always like, you can tell them what you've been working on, but with the kiddos, I always ask for the kiddos permission. Like, what would you like me to share? What would you like me to stay away from? Um, I think a lot of reassuring like reassuring parents that, you know, your kiddos doing great work. They're totally participating. Um, I enjoy you know enjoy their company in the space they're really reflective and they use the hour well like I always try to give them feedback that like therapy is a good thing and it's working um oftentimes you'll see kids regress and then do you know get better um and then yeah definitely having it, de- it depends on the family but one family for example um the kiddo was just really stressed out uh, by dad and the parents were already separated and divorced and also this is this isn't just one kiddo it's kind of a medley of kiddo examples and in, in this one because I work with a lot of separated families mm-hmm. and um, I do a lot of letter writing in therapy so like we'll turn on music and they'll talk about like what's been most frustrating or upsetting or what happened in the home um, and then basically like write a letter to that person and they don't have to give it to them but really being able to express and deepen and just kind of allow the floodgates to open with no filter like what they're feeling and thinking in relation to this, this stressor. Mm. And in this kiddo's life, it was dad. And she actually ended up reading, we invited the parents in to the session and she ended up reading the letter to dad Mm. in, in front of um, mom as well. And it was just, it was so powerful and she was so strong. She's 13 and she's like 13 going on, you know, 26, just so mature and so wise and just really wanted to be seen for like who she is now and not like, the eight-year-old like she's not into ponies anymore like mm. she's not girly like she feels more of a like a tomboy like she's questioning like sexuality stuff and so really wanting to be seen for who she is rather than like constantly compared to who she was so it was it was really in it was inspiring and it was I thought she was um she felt really empowered and then we've met a few times thereafter and she's like I don't feel anxious anymore like it's gone And so what's awesome is like the goal of therapy is like, sure, it'd be nice to have a therapist forever, but you also don't want to be in therapy forever. You know, you want to heal and be okay on your own. And so she, she's achieved that she's, you know, able to just kind of take a break from therapy and see how she functions in the world. And then she'll come in for top ups. Um, Do you have, I mean, this one's pretty powerful, but
0: do you have like us, uh, a client who maybe had a breakthrough that stands out to you as like, Oh my God, this was a huge moment.
1: Oh, wow. So rewind to Australia where I worked at a school Um, there. I worked in the ESL. So English as a second Mm -hmm. language unit. It was in the back of a school and the kids were from all over um, Somalia, Afghanistan, Pakistan. um, Gosh, Indonesia. I mean, there, I'm trying to think of the one that's on the tip of my tongue, Burma um, and Ethiopia. And they came, you know, by plane, by by boat, all these modes of transportation to get to um, Australia. And it's, it's not easy to get to Australia by boat when you're in Somalia. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. just, yeah, it's just what these kids went through. They were encouraged to throw their papers overboard and get rid of all their identification and start over. But really that completely um set back their process when they got to Australia. sometimes they had they were sent back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and when you're sent back, you could be murdered. I mean, it was it was the trauma was just um stifling and but the smiles on these kids' faces, their like eagerness to learn, like their senses of humor um and we didn't have a common language like English, I didn't speak their language, they didn't speak my language, so we used art um as a way and also we had professional interpreters that you would call on the phone and you um they would then translate for the for me and for the client the student and so there's this one kid in particular i think it was one of the first kids i ever worked with um and he kept drawing pictures of like hanging like himself hanging um and would just like start crying in the room and crying in the room and i would asked him what was going on. And I had the most amazing supervisor at the time. She's just like the warmest, loveliest person. So I was able to go to her and also my school supervisor to just help guide me through this. Cause I'm like, is this kid suicidal? Like I, you know, I asked him and he said, he wants to die. He wants to be with God and he wants to be with his family. But, but then when he taught, he wants to be on earth because of his brother. And I'm just trying to understand more about brother. And I just can't, I just am not understanding where brother is because he says he's here in Australia, but he doesn't live with him. So fast forward through many sessions of just clarifying questions. Cause like, you know, you really want to make sure that you're spot on with the information you're getting and mm-hmm. you don't go down a different path that they're not ready to go down or that yeah. is not what they're trying to express and tell you about. Um, his brother was in Australia, but he couldn't find him. He was, they were separated and they went to two different cities And so his brother was in Sydney and he was in Brisbane and he was like, I just need to be with my brother. Like, I'm terrified. I don't know anyone here. I'm living in a house with like eight other, um, you know, refugee and asylum seeking kids, like anywhere from age 12 to 25. And um, it was just, it was really traumatic for him. And basically we were able to get his brother's name track him down in Sydney, find out the house that he was living in because, um, they were like, uh, residents and they, they would be clumped into houses together with like one, um, residential leader who would sleep at the house. But like, let's say my kiddo had a doctor's appointment, the entire house had to go. Like one kiddo had a soccer game, the whole house would have to go. Mm -hmm. And so it was just, it was crazy. Um, So anyway, so we found his brother. We found the home and the agency that he had been boarded and like was living with, and we wrote to the embassy and we wrote to somebody else, just saying like this kiddo is on the verge of suicide. Like he needs to be with his brother. This is the extensive trauma that he'd been through in coming here, you know, to seek safety and asylum in Australia. Like he needs to be with his family, and his family's his brother, and his brother's in Sydney, and we were able to reunify them. And he moved down to Sydney. I know I want to cry, <laughs> he moved down to Sydney and got to be reunified with his brother and like kept in contact with the school and with us. And was just like, I'm so happy. Like, this is what I, I needed to be with my brother. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, just like a wonderful, wonderful story, thankfully in the sense that they were reunified. Cause you think about how many people are not reunified with their family for a long time. Um, but yeah, the fact that we were able to do that as like a little intern and a school counselor was pretty cool. Oh my gosh, that yeah. is like the best story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's yeah, that one stands out to me as like my yeah the the big like wow we did it he did it like I'm sure you have a I'm sure
0: you have a ton. I know, like my brain's spinning.
1: <laughs> I have so many. But that one's so sweet. Kids are just so resilient. That's another thing about being a therapist with kids. Like, ad- adult work is very different, and sometimes they're just like. It's too late. I'm old. Like my past is my past. But kiddos are really resilient and mm-hmm. and strong. So the outcomes are really, really, really great. Yeah, I love that.
0: Yeah. If somebody's listening to this and they're interested in like, I think this is something I need, but maybe they don't have access to it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you have any sort of tool or something they could do at home that can help
1: them? That's a great question. Um, I think, for me, as a recommendation, like you know, therapy can be expensive. Not everyone has EAP. Mm-hmm. Not everyone has like behavioral health benefits. Although it's becoming more, you know, popular in the workplace. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you could just take twenty minutes out of your day to sit outside, go on a walk, and breathe and actually mindfully breathe. And I mean, therapists get the biggest eye roll when it comes down to breathing, but it's literally your internal, your system is built to use breathing as a regulatory tool. And so there's a method. It's, you can do it in any number of ways. You can do four, four, six, you can do three, three, five. Um, You don't want to stress yourself out in breathing and like, have to hold it for too long and then hold your breath and exhale but basically you breathe in for 3 you hold for 3 and then you breathe out for 5 and if you can do that mindfully on a bench walking up and down your block a couple times um you can do it with headphones in too cuz some people feel like a little bit self-conscious when it's just that quiet and they're trying to breathe and they might feel silly but honestly to re regulate your nervous system, come back down to a neutral zone, um, and doing it in the morning and at night. So, doing it when you wake up in the morning for two minutes, you know, mindfulness and meditation doesn't have to be an hour, like it doesn't have to be 20 minutes. You can work yourself up to those, that time, you know, that amount, of course, but really two minutes, three times a day. Um, I think that a lot of people are stressed and anxious. A lot of people can't focus. A lot of people are having like memory fatigue and very forgetful. A lot of that has to do with COVID and confinement and not having as many like stimulating, um, things throughout their day, like visual stimulants. So for me as a therapist, like the best free advice I could give right now is just reminding people to breathe, (laughs) It's super important. I mean, I have to remind myself. Yeah. Yeah. So before in the morning, when you wake up and before bed, also there's a lot to positive self-talk. Like there's a lot to be said for the voice in your head, which is like our inner critic. It's going off all the time. And so to tune into the inner critic and stop it, put it to rest, breathe through it and just be like, that wasn't true. Like, You look, you know, you look beautiful when you look in the mirror or like, you're going to get through this interview. You're like, you can do it. You're capable. You're smart. Like you, you know, so changing your self-talk from negative and self-critical to positive and giving yourself an actual words of affirmation or um, a a mantra you might develop for yourself. Honestly, that, that inner critic, if you can work on it each day and, and catch it in the moment. I think that can really, really help people's mental health. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: What's next for you in this space? Well,
1: (laughs) I really hope to have uh, a mobile therapy. Okay. So, the big dream, the big picture, which I was talking to you and your dad about, and I did my homework. I listened to the podcast. (laughs) Very helpful. Financial, what was it? 101, Mm -hmm. 102. And he did 103. Yeah. Super helpful. Um, I want to have a mobile sprinter van that is decked out like a little music box inside. That's just like the most peaceful, beautiful, lovely art therapy space. One could possibly dream of entering. And I recently got a a dog. She's a cold retriever. So border collie, cold retriever mix and she's my service animal and also a therapeutic, uh, animal assisted, um, emotional support animal for my clients. And so it's like a a twofer. And so my dream would be to like meet clients at the park or at their home. um, Just anywhere, because it would be a mobile therapy office. Um, Of course, depending on what states I'm licensed in, you know, I could do it in California and Utah. Mm -hmm. And Florida and Pennsylvania where I'm now licensed as well Ooh. so I could just take my little van around and offer therapy um, to all different kinds of clients. I definitely focus more so on trauma, anxiety, stress, and panic um, and and depression and a lot of them are so linked as well um, and then bring Bromley, my little dog, and drive around and go help people.
0: I love this idea <laughs> so much
1: I really really hope it comes true it just makes
0: me so happy to think that you can like you know because not everybody has the means to travel if they live maybe outside of city limits or you know everybody's situation can be so different and Mm -hmm. sometimes those people need the help the most yeah and so I think things like this are yeah they just make my heart happy when I hear that like you want to do this
1: yeah. Well, I, I really hope, I hope it happens. I think you're right. Like having accessibility, like going to people who might be injured or are too remote that or don't have access to a car, like you said, transportation. And um, yeah, I think there's definitely something to it. There was an agency I worked at in San Francisco, um, a nonprofit, and they were like a mobile therapy um, model in the sense that like we got reimbursed for our miles, but we would drive to the school or we would drive to the client's home or we'd meet them in the, in their neighborhood. Um we did have offices as well, but it was a the therapist goes to you, the therapist goes to the client. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a lot, a lot to that, a lot of value in that, I
0: think. Mm-hmm. It makes me I know you said your oldest client is 65, but mm-hmm. to me, this seems like there's so many elderly people who could benefit from this.
1: Yep. Yep. And it's so interesting. You said that because I did a training on um like you have to do training on elder abuse Mm -hmm. and that population like seniors and above, I mean, the stories they have, the history they have, the life that they've been living. Um, and then the stages of who they were, who they've become, who they are now, like the whole aging process. I mean, I hope that when I have a little bit more experience under my belt, maybe when I'm, I don't look like a five-year-old helping them, you know, like I think I need to maybe age a little bit more myself. (laughs) But uh, that I can, yeah, go into that world. Um, but you're right. I mean, the, again, the isolation and confinement of elders, and just culturally, how we kind of put them away, mm-hmm. put them in an aged care facility, and close the door, and you know, visit them on on holidays. It just it breaks my heart. And so, me too. I would really love to help that population. Yeah. at some point, yeah, I saw that's a good way to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I saw at one point during COVID that there was a nursing home somewhere and I, and this wasn't therapy, but it kind of just makes me think of this. Um, I think it was a nursing home in North Carolina maybe, but they had used their Instagram to put up pictures of everybody living in the nursing home. And, at, and they were all holding a sign saying like, this is my name. These are my interests. And it would be like oh. sewing, Uh, the Bahamas, like whatever, this TV show and people, and then like the address and people were writing them letters (gasps) as like pen pals. And it made me so happy. And I was like, this should Mm -hmm. be a staple in every single nursing home. Yep. Yep. Sometimes like these elderly people have no
1: family left and I'm like, Oh, makes me so sad. I know it's so sad. And honestly, this is like business idea part two, but Mm -hmm um like a dating app but for to connect it's not dating obviously but to build that social connection for elders mm-hmm. and link them into young kids who need mentors or don't have grandparents in their life yeah. or don't you know and it's just so important like our the family the family structure just the hierarchy respecting our elders like there there's so much that they can offer our youth and other people but then and young people but they're they're felt to be they're made to feel like they're not useful anymore. Mm-hmm. I think that can happen in like that elderly age. And so, I mean, you're spot on like letter writing, doing the Instagram, like having the post and their picture. And I mean, I bet that that made them feel so good. And to get a letter from somebody in society that saw them, thought about them, and wrote a letter I mean, the health benefits of that are yeah. just,
0: yeah, amazing. Where can everybody find you, reach out to you, connect with you? Let us know.
1: Yeah. So I, um, I am on psychology today. I'll start there. And so you can find me under Aaron Miller Brennan and it connects to my email. So you can write an email if you have any questions, even if it's about like how to become a therapist, what avenue, avenue should I go down? Like social work, MFT or LPC. I'm happy to answer any questions. Um, if people are interested in becoming a client, awesome. Um, I I am taking clients. Um, and then I do have an Instagram, it's private right now, but I am developing Golden Feels Therapy. Um, that's not private and it's I'm updating it with pictures of Bromley and like inspirational quotes and um also like some funny, just you know, lighthearted humorous stuff too, because there's a lot to humor and therapy as well. So Um, but yeah, you could find me, Erin Miller, Brennan, golden fields therapy on Instagram or on psychology today. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing this with us. You're welcome, Erica. It's so nice to meet you and see you again. And I'm just glad we have this connection and I'm, I've been listening to your podcast and I love what you're doing. So please keep doing it.
0: Oh, thank you so much.